All right, amen, church. Christ is the solid rock in which we stand and worship. All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those real quick and turn with me to Psalm chapter 57. You, uh, you and I are in the middle of a sermon series out of the book of Psalms, and we're just kind of jumping our way through and, and hopping through. And so last week we saw Psalm 51, which was David's cry for repentance. And now this week we see David crying out for refuge. So the four things I want you to see this morning in Psalm 57 are Christ, God is our refuge, God is our reason, Christ is our relief, and he is worthy of our response. And so we're going to see that as we hop through the psalm this morning. You know, sometimes life is difficult. Sometimes our life will go down a road that we wish it didn't travel. And we find ourselves crying out for mercy, crying out for help. Sometimes the news is bad on the other end of the line. Sometimes we have sleepless nights. Oftentimes our friends and our families become our worst enemies. Our relationships oftentimes become rocky. Our health might be in decline. Our finances might be dwindling. Our job might be in jeopardy. You might feel as though you are stuck between a rock and a hard place. And sometimes we want to run and we want to hide. We want to crawl underneath a rock and hide. As we get into Psalm 57, this is one of those psalms where David literally feels like running and hiding underneath a rock. He runs to a cave. He's hiding from King Saul who is trying to kill him. As we see there is a title of this psalm. It says, To the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a mitkem of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Now we know the story here, most of us do, that Saul, he was anointed king, and at one point he decided to be disobedient. He decided that he would go along and go ahead and make a sacrifice, even though it was not his place to make the sacrifice. That's a different sermon for a different day, but it was disobedient, and he lost his anointing as king. And from that day on, he was grieved by it. So God anoints another king, a young shepherd boy named David. Now David doesn't go immediately into kingship, but he kind of works his way into the uh, service of King Saul, and he is his personal musician and plays songs for him to try to soothe his pain and agony. And as time goes on, David is given the opportunity to go out onto the field and kill Goliath. And once Goliath is killed and murdered, there's now a different song being sung. It's not about Saul killing his thousands, but it's David killing his ten thousands. And Saul becomes super jealous of David. So much so that he decides that he should just go ahead and kill him. And so David is on the run. And more than likely, this is referring to a time where he was hiding in a cave in 1 Samuel chapter 22. Hiding in a cave, not knowing where to turn or what to do. And so he cries out for refuge. So let's read this psalm in its entirety. Let's pray. And then let's jump in. Be merciful to me. O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. 
till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will sin from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God. Above the heavens, let your glory be over all the earth. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, as we get into your word today, we would ask that by the power of your spirit that you would implant in us your word, that you would allow us to see with spiritual eyes the things that you would have us to see, that you would reveal to us the truth of your word, and it would change us from the inside out. Father, we thank you for the words that were inspired by your spirit that David penned in a time of distress, and Lord, I pray that for those of us who are in distress now, that they be words of comfort. So, Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this time. In Christ's name, amen. As we jump in, I want you to see, number one, God is our refuge in life. Our refuge in life, verse one, we see it there. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in your soul, for in you, my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. Oftentimes, there are storms that come through our life, and we are not prepared for those. The storms come through and wreak havoc on the things that are going on, and where do you run to and who do you cry out to in those times? Oh, God, you are my refuge. Now, the cave of Adullam, more than likely, is where David is writing this song or this prayer. And if it is the one that they say that it is, they say that it's roughly two miles away from the place that he killed Goliath. Now, if this were true then this cave that they've discovered is so large that it can hold some 200 to 400 men in it. It's such a large cave, but the idea that it's so close to where he once had victory over the enemy and now he hides shows us that this is the way life is. There are moments where you have victories and wins, and then later on in the same area of your life you have defeat and you're hiding. So let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 and 2 real fast. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. What a remarkable thought that all those who were distressed, all those who were in debt, all of those who were bitter in soul were running for refuge. 
And in fact, they're running to David. And David becomes commander-in-chief over them. They're running to someone that they believe can be their savior. Someone they believe can be their help. How often is it that we run into the wrong direction? But you see, Jesus is the greater David. Jesus is the greater servant of God. Jesus is the greater king of Israel. Jesus is the greater commander-in-chief, Lord of all. And he is the one that we run to when we are distressed, when we are discouraged, when we are in debt, when our souls are weary and burdened. And this is why Jesus would say in Matthew 11, 28 and 30, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, that you would run to the Lord when you are in distress, when life takes a turn for the worse, when you feel like crawling underneath a rock and hiding, but you would run to him who holds all things. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. What an interesting thought, a beautiful imagery of a mother hen gathering her brood underneath her wing for protection. Matthew 23, 37, Jesus would even refer to himself in this way. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered you, your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing Jesus longs for us to be his refuge, that we would run to him, that we would hide underneath his wing, that he would be our ultimate protection. But sometimes we're just simply not willing. And why is that? Is it because we think that there are things in this world that can relieve our distress greater than Jesus Christ? Is it because we think that there are other refuges that we can run to? that would ease the pain of debt, that ease the pain of our soul. In fact, that's what we do, and they're not all bad things. Some of them are good things, but they are mixed together. You see, some of us, we, when we're in a bad situation, we run towards money. You know, if I just had the money, I would not be in the situation that I'm in. I, I could pay this debt. I could get out of the situation I'm in. I just really need to figure out how to get more money. And so we run to something that can never really make us secure. Another thing that we run to oftentimes is family. You know what, my world is just crazy right now. Things are chaotic. If I could just go home and just have my family and we could just, we could just isolate and we could just turn off the news for a minute, right? We could just, it's just me and my family. Let's just all like close in. We run to relationships. And when we run to a relationship for our refuge, we place on that person something that they can never provide. We ask that person to function as a savior, and they will always be a broken savior. And so it destroys that relationship. Sometimes we run to entertainment. You know what? I just want to forget I'm just going to lock in on this show, and I'm going I'm to binge it. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to stream it. I'm going to do whatever it is. I, I can't believe I watched five episodes in a row, but, man, I just needed to escape for a second. 
Sometimes we run to whatever satisfies for the moment. You know, I just need my fix. But you were not willing to run to him as a brood runs to their mother hen underneath the wings. You see, these things are always broken refuges because at any given instance, they can fail us and they can be taken away from us. But if we run to Christ, he will never leave us nor forsake us. In fact, Jonas read from John 6, and I had already planned on reading from John 6 that popped up in our, our weekly reading from the 52 weeks of Jesus. So let me show you another part of this John chapter 6. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you, you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Those who come to me I will never cast out. If you're coming to Christ as a refuge, he will never cast you out. Verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should, lo that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That those who run to Christ and put their full faith and belief in him as their refuge, that he will never let you go, that he will hold you underneath his wing as a refuge. No matter how crazy and chaotic this world gets, there is one that will never fail, Jesus Christ. Who do you run to? As he prays in John 17, his high priestly prayer, he says this, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scriptures might be fulfilled. I have guarded them. Listen, our refuge, our only hope, our only safeguard is to run to Jesus Christ. He is our refuge. And number two, he is our reason for living. Verse two says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. What a remarkable verse that David here, hiding in a cave, would say, I run to you, you're my refuge, and you, God, fulfill your purpose for me. Can you believe that there's a purpose for your life that is ordained by God. Now, when we go through difficult times, what we often ask is, why? Why is this happening to me? Why am I having to go through this? Why am I suffering in this way? Why am I having to watch my loved ones suffer this way? Why, God, why is this happening? And I'm gonna be honest with you, the answer to this question may not relieve 
the pain and the distress of that question. But I will tell you the truth. The why is found in this, that God would fulfill his purpose for you. God has a purpose for your pain. God has a purpose for your life. And God's purpose for your life is that you would make much of him in spite of the difficult situation that you're in, that he would be glorified above all other things and that many, many, many would come to know him and put their hope and trust in him because of the faith that you have in your life. Your pain is not wasted when it is brought to the Father. The Westminster Catechism says this, question number one, this is the question we all have, what is the chief end of man? What's my purpose in life? What's my reason for being here? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. If you really want to know what your purpose is on the planet right now, no matter what situation you're in, it's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And if we're running to other things, we will never do that. These verses remind us of the importance of glorifying God. 1 Corinthians 6.20 for you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. You were bought at a very high price. So pricely was the purchase of your life that he had to give his son for it. So honor God, glorify God with your body. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So every decision in life, whether eating or drinking, whatever minimal thing you're doing, it's done so that God will be glorified. There is purpose in your life. His purpose in your life. Revelations 4.11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. God created all things for his glory, for his praise. And we are to glorify him and enjoy him forever. I love how C.S. Lewis puts it. We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses it, but completes the enjoyment. Listen, we experience completely the glory and the joy of God when we worship him in spite of the circumstances that we're in, in spite of the pain that we find ourselves in. And yet sometimes we want to exalt ourselves to make much of ourselves rather than make much of God. As Piper puts it, when humans exalt themselves, they call attention to something that can never satisfy the people they want to impress themselves. No mere human, no matter how exalted, can be the all-satisfying treasure of another. For humans, self-exaltation is typically a way of getting, not giving, using people, not serving them. But it is otherwise with God. In exalting himself, that is, in upholding and communicating his glory, God aims to give enjoyment to all who will have him as their supreme treasure. Our purpose is to glorify God. Our reason for existing is to bring honor and glory to him. This was what God did by choosing his people, Israel, that they would be his people and that he would be their God so that the world might see who he really is. But as we've read through the Old Testament, we see how even Israel turned away from glorifying God and wanted to glory in other things. Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 43, 18 through 25 said this, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? 
I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beast will honor me, the jackals and the ostrich. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. I give drink to my chosen people. Look at verse 21. The people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. God created a people for his praise, for his glory. There is a purpose to be fulfilled in the life of those who call on the Lord. Isaiah 43, starting verse 22. Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You have not bought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. You see, Israel, you haven't glorified me. You've, you've walked away from me. You've chased after the things of this world. You've sought all of these things, and you've wearied me with your sins. Verse 25, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. For the glory of God. Did you get that? I will blot out all of your transgressions for my name's sake. I will do it for my name to be glorified. I will remember your sins no more. There's a reason for your life, and your reason is to bring honor and glory to God, no matter what the circumstances. I will cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Again, God fulfills his purpose for you and me when we glorify him and enjoy his grace. But sometimes, it's not until the tangible, physical, and material things that we glory in are taken away that we are more inclined to glory in what we cannot lose, God's grace. Oftentimes, it's not until the things of this world are taken from us that we cannot clearly see the purpose of glorifying in that which we cannot lose, God's grace. As I was studying this week, I read a story about Elizabeth Elliot. You remember Elizabeth Elliot? She was the wife of Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot was a missionary down in Ecuador, and he lost his life with several others as they were trying to reach uh, a tribe down there in Ecuador. She lost her husband, and she remarried. She remarried, but she lost her second husband to cancer. And she was addressing the Urbana Missions Conference in, seven, in 1976, she told of being in Wales and watching a shepherd and his dog. The dog would herd the sheep up the ramp into a tank of antiseptic in which they had to be bathed to protect them from parasites. As soon as they would come out of the tank, the shepherd would grab the rams by the horns and fling them back into the tank and hold them under the antiseptic for a few more seconds. Sounds pretty rough. Miss Elliot asked the shepherd's wife, if the sheep understood what was happening. And she replied, oh, they haven't got a clue. They don't know what's happening. And she said, I've experienced some experiences like that in my life that made me feel very sympathetic to those poor rams. I couldn't figure out any reason for the treatment that I was getting from the good shepherd. But I trusted him. And he gave me no hint of explanation. I tell you this because David's crying out for refuge. 
but he still knows that God is his reason for living. And though we may never get an answer on this side of heaven, there's a reason for your life. There's a reason for the circumstance, and it's that God will be glorified no matter how rough the treatment might seem. Christ is our relief from a roaring lion. I love how David shifts this song, this prayer here. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. David cries out for a savior from heaven. He's not asking for someone greater than Saul to come in and help alleviate his pain while he's hiding in this cave. No, he, he's asking God to send a Savior, to send the Messiah, to send the true King of Israel. We know that Jesus came, and he came for that very purpose, to save us. John writes about it in 1 John 3, 5 through 8. You know that he appeared in order to take away the sins. And in him there is no sin. You know the reason Jesus appeared? You know why Jesus appeared from heaven? To take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Listen, he's in a bad situation. He's hiding in a cave and he's asking for relief and he knows the only relief that he can get comes from heaven. Do you realize the only relief that you can get comes from a savior? A savior that comes from heaven because he comes to destroy the works of the devil? Hebrews put it this way in 2.14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Oh God, send a savior from heaven. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are like sharp swords. He feels like he is being hunted, pursued, watched, it reminds us of 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We cry out for relief because we know that there is a real enemy that is trying to devour us. We know that there's a real enemy who is shooting flaming darts at us to try to knock us back in our faith. Ephesians 6, 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. What's remarkable about this is that we have relief because he's been defeated. The enemy has been defeated. We may not realize that because we're still feeling the effects of sin in a fallen world. But let me say it again. The enemy has been defeated. Amen. Like the enemy has been defeated. We don't get this, right? We're not getting this. Let me say it, let me say it another way. The enemy has been defeated. 
Amen. So, we have victory, we have relief in Christ alone. You know why? Because the enemy has been defeated. I hope someone tweets that later. The enemy has been defeated. Let me prove it to you, Colossians 2.15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. They have been put to shame. He has defeated the enemy. David says, my soul, my soul is in agony. I feel like I'm being surrounded by lions, by fiery beasts. I feel like the words of those men are spears and arrows, sharp swords. I feel like I'm being attacked all around, but you know what? It's, it's not going to devour me because I find relief in Christ. I find relief in a savior from heaven. I find relief in the one who has crushed the enemy. The very thing that David is crying out for is the Messiah, which we saw all the way back in Genesis 3:15. after the fall. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There is going to be an attack on the one who comes and it will look like he's bruised, but he will crush the enemy. The one born of a virgin, the offspring of the woman, defeated the enemy on the cross and put him to open shame when he resurrected on the third day. Defeating death. Defeating the things that come against us. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. Selah, which means pause. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp as swords. You see, the enemy has been defeated. He has been defanged from being able to truly harm those who run to Christ for their refuge. But he is still going to attack with his words. He's going to attack with his lies. He's going to send out fiery arrows to try to defeat you by making you believe things that just simply are not true. So our only hope is to resist him. As Peter goes on in verses 9 through 10, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will restore, himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Oh, you might feel like you're hiding underneath a rock right now, but he is your refuge. He is your reason for living. He is your only relief because after you've suffered a little while, he will restore you. Resist and find relief. Resist and find restoration. Ligon Duncan puts it this way, we don't cope with hard things in this life by scaling down problems. We don't cope in this life by being optimistic. We cope in this life by thinking of the greatness of our God. Think about the greatness of God. I don't have time, but I want you to later read Romans 8, 31 through 39, where he says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
Who can separate us from the love of God? Nothing in all creation can separate you from Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Christ is our risen Savior, and he is worthy of our response. Okay? So he's our refuge, he's our reason, he's our relief, and he is risen and worthy of our response. My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody, awake my glory, awake harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. For someone who's hiding in a cave, this psalm ends really on a high note, doesn't it? It's all of a sudden like he realizes that there is salvation, there is a glory that needs to be proclaimed among the nations, that there is a people who need to hear how good this refuge is, why there is a reason that we live, and who brings the relief. So let's let's respond with worship. David responds with a heart of worship. My heart is steadfast, O God. This stuff is going on around me, but my heart is steadfast. My world is in chaos, but my heart is still fixed on you. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Since my heart is steadfast and focused on God, my only response is to worship. David's response to God for being his refuge, his reason for living, and his relief from the enemy was an all-out global exaltation of missional praise. Global exaltation, missional praise. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praise to you among the nations. What a great thought. That David's worship was not just personal, but it was global. Oftentimes we consider worship to be this thing that we do as we gather together. That was a good service. I really enjoyed that. That really spoke to me. Mm, that, was, that was a great song. Did you like that little bridge that they did? Man, the words of that, mm, that hit home. I raised my hand. I was in a Baptist church. I really, I really felt it today. <laughs> worship is not just personal. Worship is missional. Genuine worship for who Christ is is a witness to the world. And until our worship goes beyond these walls, we're not truly worshiping. Our worship has to go out so that the peoples and the nations will sing his praise. But the thing is, we won't praise what we don't prize. If we run to anything else other than Jesus Christ, we are putting more prize in that thing, and that's the thing we'll try to worship. That's the thing we'll try to tell people about. Did you see this new thing I got? Did you experience this? You should try this. This is amazing. This really helped me with my situation. Are we saying you really need to run to Jesus Christ? He is our only refuge. He is my reason for living. He is the only relief from the situation that I'm in. Praise God. Let me worship as a witness outside of these walls. You won't worship what you don't find worthy. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Worship. 
in spite of whatever circumstance or hardship of life, worship, you won't proclaim if there's no passion. There's a writing on the wall out there in the, in the lobby. It's been there for years now. And it's our vision statement. It's what we would aspire to be if, if, we, can, if we do our mission statement, which is Christ Community Commission. If we put Christ first in all things and we gather as a community of believers and we go in, in obedience to the Great Commission, then what will be the outcome of that? We will passionately love others to Jesus Christ. Passionately love others to Christ. You can't proclaim what you're not passionate about. Are you passionate about Jesus? Then worship. Respond. I end the sermon every week with the exact same phrase Will you stand? Will you respond? You know why I say that? Because the only reasonable response is worship. When God's word is proclaimed, when his word is implanted in our hearts, when we recognize how hopeless and helpless we are and how great and glorious he is, our only response is worship. So stand and respond today when we finish. I'm not done yet. <laughs> I've still got at least another slide, I think. Are you passionate about him? Worship is to be missional. If our worship is lacking, it's not due to the condition of our life, but due to the condition of our heart. If worship is lacking, it's not due to the condition of your life, it's due to the condition of your heart. Therefore, if missions is lacking, it's not due to the condition of your life, well, I just can't really do missions. It's just... It's due to the condition of your heart. Worship is a witness. As Piper said, again, missions exist because worship doesn't. What he means by that is there's a world out there that needs to worship the creator because that's what they were designed for. That's the purpose of all creation is to worship God. And so missions is to take his name to every place on earth that has not heard his name so that every nation, every tribe, and every tongue will proclaim and worship Christ. But I would say missions also exist because too many believers are failing to go out and worship God as a witness. We've created a, a ministry for the church. Well, that's missions. Missions is not just something the church does. Missions is what we're called to, we're commissioned to. So, verse eight, awake. Get out, of the, get out of the cave. Awake from your slumber, my glory. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. Awake, I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you. O Lord, among the peoples, I will sing praises to you among the nations. Wake up, David. Wake up. Get your harp. Get your lyre. Wake up. Let's sing praise. Ephesians 5, 14. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper. Church, I would say, awake. Because he is worthy. He is our refuge. He is our reason for living. He is our only relief. He is our risen Savior. And so we should respond. 
Worship and missions are not a ministry of the church. They're the call of every member. I want to end with what Charles Spurgeon said. The man who is asleep does not care what becomes of his neighbors. How can he while he's asleep? And oh, some of you Christians do not care whether souls are saved or damned. It's enough for them if they are comfortable, if they can attend a respectable place of worship and go with others to heaven. They are indifferent about everything else. How unfortunate that sometimes we settle for comfortable Christianity, for attending a respectable place of worship and knowing that we're going to all go to heaven one day with each other. Awake. Awake my soul to worship you as a witness. Awake. Let's pray. Father, I plead with you to awake my soul, to awake me from the slumber of comfortable Christianity, to awake me to the call of the Great Commission on my life. And God, I would pray that over this church. God, that you would awake our souls to want to worship you because you are worthy in spite of circumstances. Father, today, if someone here is distressed, distraught, lost in their indebtedness, weary in soul, Father, today, I pray that they would respond by running to you as their only refuge. Father, today, I pray that we would respond knowing that you have purpose for our life to glorify you among the nations, among the peoples. Father, I would pray that we would find our only relief from the enemy in your son, Jesus Christ, and his finished work on the cross. Father, that we would respond in worship. In Christ's name, amen. Will you stand? Will you respond?